I am Scott, and this is my beautiful, brilliant wife, Janet, uh, of 37 years. Wow. Almost 38. Wow. Almost 38 Almost years. 38. In August, over 38 years. And we've been ministering together, and I, I tell you, you know, to minister that long together, we, we were singing together before we got uh, married, when we were just dating, and we've been ministering together uh, for all those years, now 39 years that we've been ministering together. In all of that, being a, a pastor, being a music minister, being a youth pastor, all of those things, she stood by my side and then we ministered together. But I tell you this, in all of the years that we ministered together, the passion for what we're doing now in helping people get free from the lies and the wounds that the enemy inflicts on their lives has driven a passion in us like nothing before. Wow. Nothing before. And we are singers, we are worshipers, we love all that stuff. But this is so much more important. And I see it every day around me. And all of the people that I meet, and when you interact with people, and you see how the enemy has affected their lives and hurt them and spoken lies into their life. To be able to sit down with somebody and pray with them yeah. and have them find release when you see believers who yes. don't yet know who they are, they're still stuck in who they were and battling something that Jesus already dealt with, and you lead them and you open their eyes to see who they are, it's like, yes. It's just, love it. So when we talked about uh, starting this ministry and we wanted to get it kicked off, I asked Chad if we could share uh, about that. And he said, well, yeah, you know what? We got this passage coming up in Ephesians that's perfect for this because we are in a, in a series on Ephesians right now. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. I think you've even started chapter four, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to yeah. jump ahead just a little bit because this week I'm going to have shoulder surgery and then I'll be like this for a couple of weeks. And um, I didn't want to do that from the pulpit. So he's letting us kind of jump ahead a little bit. This is the passage that we're in this morning. I want to read this and then we're going to pray together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. You got your Bibles with you? Yes. Or your tablets or whatever they do these days. <laughs> so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may be 
that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just, I'm so excited about this morning, I can hardly stay in my own skin, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thank you so much, Father God, for your goodness towards us. And that you desire that each and every one of us live fully in that abundant life that Jesus died to provide for us. The cost was so much, and the benefit is unspeakable. We can't even wrap our minds totally around it. And unfortunately, Father God, so many of us live lives that are less than abundant. We want to see that change this morning, Father God. So I, I pray that hearts would be open, that minds would be receptive, that your word may penetrate even to the bone and marrow, and that you would release people this morning into your glorious freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing you need to know about this passage is it's really not as negative as it might at first glance seem to be. Paul speaks a lot of the things we need to avoid, like futile thinking and darkened understanding, hard-heartedness, insensitivity, sensuality, all manner of impurity, and the lusting for more in that, deceitful desires, falsehood, anger, giving the devil a foothold, stealing unwholesome talk, grieving, Holy Spirit, bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, and malice. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. That's at least 18 things to avoid, and there's a few little things in there like, and lust for more, you know, uh, that kind of take it way beyond that. The whole thing sounds, well, pretty negative when you think about it that way. But listen, in a literary sense, and this happens a lot in the Bible, it's not actually as negative as it sounds. Let me explain. Uh, I'll use the Ten Commandments to explain. Everybody know the Ten Commandments? The ten okay. suggestions as we sometimes act like, you know. Yeah, they're not really suggestions. They are actually commandments. But listen to them really briefly here. Do not or place other gods before me. Do not have or place other gods before me. Do not make graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. How many of those were negative? Out of the 10, there's only two that aren't spoken in the negative. Why is that? In the positive. Or, or in the positive, excuse me. Because it's easier, it's quicker, and it's far more simple to state something in the negative. But just because something is stated in the negative does not limit its meaning to the negative. For example, take the command, do not commit murder. I'm going to jump out on a limb and say, probably nobody in this room has done that, right? Okay? You don't have to confess if you have, but <laughs> probably nobody's done that. That's actually one of the easier ones to kind of avoid, sort of. And then Jesus kind of turned it around and said, you know what? You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, do not hate your brother, because if you do, you're guilty of the fires of Gehenna. Okay, well, that makes it a little bit harder. Now it's murder just became hatred. But it's actually more than that. Because in a literary sense, when you state something in the negative, what you're doing is making it easier 
to understand and avoid, but at the same time, there's something that's happening in the opposite direction. For every commandment that we're given, there's an opposite implication. So when it says do not murder, actually what God is getting at, promote life. Now, how many ways could you say promote life? Oh, there's so many ways we can promote life. It, it, it would be exhausting. You could write a whole book on one commandment just to promote life, right? So it's a whole lot easier to say, do not murder. Do not take life, okay? Do not dishonor life. Why? Because people are created in my image. Don't dishonor that image. When you reverse the, 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 the thinking in that, what you come up with or what you come away with is something very different. All of a sudden, I'm responsible not just to avoid something, but to embrace something. Does that make sense? So take our passage and those 18 some odd things. It says, don't be darkened in your understanding. What is he really asking? Pursue wisdom. Yes. Pursue wisdom. Don't be hard-hearted. He's really saying, be tender and open-hearted. And all that that, all that, that means, do not be insensitive. Instead, what would we do? We would be compassionate towards people. Now, think about all of those. There, there's just, I'm not even going to go through them all. There's too many of them. But instead of stealing, you would be what? Giving. Giving. Instead, of, uh, instead of brawling, what would you be doing? Peacemaking. 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 Instead of slander, what would you be doing? Blessing. Speaking the truth, right? Okay. By the way, we're going to get to speaking the truth a little bit later. But that's the idea. My point here is really simple. Don't just look at this litany of negative things that we're to avoid and think, well, I don't do that. Or heaven forbid, I don't do that thing. So maybe this part of the, of the passage doesn't really apply to me. Unless, folks, get this, unless you are actively engaging in the opposite spirit, you're not obeying the intent of the commandment. Every one of us could be better at thinking correctly, right? Every one of us could be better at having holy desires. Every one of us could be better at forgiving, at speaking the truth, at practicing simple kindness. Here's the thing about how we approach the Word of God. When you read a passage like this one, ask yourself, what does it say in the opposite spirit? What would be the opposite of this? Who do I need to be in order to live a life that looks like the opposite? Does that make sense? When you do that, you can see actually what Paul was really challenging us to do. In other words, don't just avoid the negative. Embrace the opposite spirit. Yeah. This is what it really means in verses 20 through 23. And it makes those verses very powerful. Yeah. We're going to talk now in 24. It says, you, have, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in accordance with his truth that is in Jesus. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
You know, when we come to Christ, the Bible teaches us we are new creatures. In 1 Corinthians 5, 17, or 2 Corinthians. So why is it so hard to walk like a new creature? This verse gives us a couple clues as to why that maybe isn't always the easiest thing that we do. First, it says we're to put off the old self. That implies choice, action on my part, to actively put off the old self. It's the term sanctification. It's a big word we use in the church. It means set apart from sin, but for something. And see, this is the problem. We focus on, I'm set apart from sin, and we focus on being set apart from sin. And so what am I focusing on? Sin. It's like when you say, I'm not going to eat chocolate this week. What do you want? Chocolate is all you think about. That set apart from sin is done. It is finished, he said. When he killed that old nature, that's done. Now, what you're set apart for is his purpose. That's what we focus on. That's the part that we focus on. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we need to grow up into all things. That's a verse earlier in this chapter, chapter 4, verse 15. You know, just as your physical bodies, they grow and we mature, it's the same in your spiritual bodies, but you have to make the choice in the spiritual. Our physical grow up, whether we like it or not, and we mature. But our spiritual bodies, very true, they don't always do that because we don't make the choice. We have to participate. We have to be growing. I loved, you know, I was reading through this, and the Lord threw this little nugget into my brain. He went, Janet, Lazarus. And I thought, oh, yeah. I love the story of Lazarus. You know, Jesus calls him from the grave. But what does it say next? What does he tell them? Take off the grave, off the grave clothes. If you want to run out of that grave into the glorious day, you've got to take off your grave clothes. We walk around wearing our grave clothes and then wonder, like, why is this so hard? Because we don't let it go. We don't let it go. The second clue is in the phrase, to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now, a lot of you have raised teenagers, and you, know, you go through that time, and you're constantly saying, we need an attitude adjustment. We need, we need an attitude adjustment. We need an attitude adjustment. And that's what he's talking about here. I love Romans 12.1. Because the problem is, we are walking around as new creatures with old minds. Now, Jesus didn't take that away. And we've all prayed that prayer. Oh, Lord, take my will. He will never answer that. Because he wants you to use your will to choose him. He does not want puppets. He does not want... So don't even pray that anymore. Because he's just going to sit there and ignore it. Because it's not on the list. He says, I'll give you a new mind. I'll give you... And you can use your will to choose the new mind of Christ... That is in you, but I'm not taking away your will to choose that. He will not do that. So Romans 12:1 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let me ask you a question. Does your life tell the truth about the God you serve? That was a question the Lord asked me several years ago. I used to deal very strongly with anxiety and fear, especially when it came to money. I was amazing at money. I, we paid all our bills. I tied 10% of gross, missions above. And the Lord finally showed me, Janet, it's just control. You think it's good stewardship. Really, it's kind of good, it's control kind of cloaked in that. So you feel good about yourself. And then he took us through a time where we 
lost everything. And I never thought I would have survived that. And during that time, man, I came face to face with the question, what does your life tell the truth of? What are you proving by how you respond? And I wasn't proving how amazing and how faithful and God will always supply my needs. If you would ask me, do I believe that of God? Oh, yeah. But then I reacted, and the anxiety welled up, and that doesn't prove his will. You know, I even, we do it in the church a lot. We kind of make room for worry, or I love it. The Christian word is, I'm concerned. <laughs> but it's the same thing. But that's the, the Christian word. We don't worry. Ah, no. I'm losing my mic. We're just concerned. We're just concerned. And we struggle with that a lot, and we make room for it. I used to joke, because um, when I'm stressed, I don't eat. Oh, well, welcome to the upside. It's a diet plan. Yeah. And I made room in my life for it and tried to find the positive in the fact that I just had angst, you know, about those kinds of things. And God really had to get in my face about it because he's commanded us, do not be anxious. Right. You know, that's not a suggestion, guys. Amen. That's the word of him to you. Do not. You know, the normal Christian life is not supposed to include worry. It's not supposed to include doubt or all the things that we struggle with and we make room for. And when we do that, we actually prove the opposite of what Scripture says God's will is. We prove he's not good, he's not going to take care of me, and I better figure out how to do this on my own. And that's what we do. Do you know why we do that, by the way? So I, I'm, I'm a theologian. I, I'm actually working on my master's in theology right now, two years into a three-year master's. But I love theology because it is literally the study of God. And that's what draws me to it. But in theology, we have this thing called the dichotomy and trichotomy of man. That's just a, a, a fancy word to say, are we body and soul or are we body, soul, and spirit? I happen to believe that we're three, just like the Trinity. We're three. We were created with a body, soul, and spirit. And when you were in control of your life before Jesus, before you let Jesus in, okay, your body was being controlled by your soul. Your soul is your, your intellect, your yep. uh, emotion, and your will. When you were awakened in Christ, as the scripture says, he made you alive. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, entered you and quickened your spirit. Now, to be in submission to that means that the spirit has to now control the soul that controls the body. And here's where the rub is. The two of them are fighting for control. Like one of our favorite teachers says, there's like two cats in a bag. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. To the degree that we allow the spirit to control, we have harmony in the soul and in the body. But to the degree that we allow the soul to control, and these are choices that we make, mm -hmm. okay, to override what the spirit's wanting for us, even though what he wants is always better for us, we have disharmony. And there is no disharmony in the Trinity. There's only unity. That's what God is shooting for a complete unity for us, just like it's complete in him. Make sense? Yeah. So during that time, I went through, oh, 
being mad. I was so mad at God one day. I told him, I'm not talking to you anymore. We're not talking. <laughs> and he kept just, I was at work. I feel him leaning over my desk. It's like, you need to go away. And then things would go right. And I go, oh, thank you, Lord. No, I'm not talking to you. I really was angry. He can tell you when I left the house that morning, he was like, I don't know who this is. I can testify to that. <laughs> and, but you know what? This is the funny thing. God kept smiling at me. And I kept thinking, you know, we think, oh, I don't want to be mad or, you know, that might be disrespectful. But you know what? The Holy Spirit was going. Because finally, Jen, it's getting real about the, what's in here. And I can now work with this. And he was happy about it. Our emotions, we shouldn't be afraid of them. They're a tool. We can't be dragged around by them. That's no. And we live that way too much. But in his hands, they're an incredible tool to show you the areas that are not where truth isn't. Where I'm living is not what I'm saying. God is this, and I live like this. I love one pastor I know says, truth must become cellular. Don't you love that? So part of you, it's in every reaction that you have. It's through the truth of the word that's in you. And during that time, the Lord said, you're to go to Isaiah 61, and you are not to go anywhere else. And I did it for over six months and I and he just and I want to share with you just three verses or one verse actually in three exchanges that he gives in Isaiah 61 that are so critical to this attitude adjustment that Paul is asking us to do for Ephesians Isaiah 61 says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor just two and three and the day of vengeance of our God you know what that is the vengeance of God every time the enemy hits you and you come back with praise and stuff to God God says, I got revenge on the enemy who tried to steal, and I got more glory and praise from my person. Love that. To comfort all who mourn, provide for them who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of despair. The crown of beauty is that first exchange. And you notice it says, instead of. What is that? A choice. I can live this way. Or I can live this way. You know, shame, we, we sang about that this morning. Shame is a heavy weight. And we were not meant to carry that. Amen. And God wants to give you a, a crown of beauty and put away your ashes. Put away your sackcloth. Because he's taken care of us in Christ. And it's, it's such a, we, know, we acknowledge yes, God's forgiven me. But then we kind of beat ourselves up still, you know. And when we mess up. And you know what we're actually doing when we do that? We are saying your blood is not enough. I need to feel bad in myself just a little bit longer because that will, I need to. And God says, no, I, I took it away. Don't discount the power of my blood by saying that you've got to now serve some kind of penance because, see, that's adding to the work on the cross. And we're not allowed to do that. When we, went, we had the privilege of about nine years ago going to Africa with some friends of ours. We were there for a month. Scott got to teach in the college. I got to do some ministry and villages. I went to a leper colony, and, and it was an amazing time. And over there, they had this kids club, and they had the uh, indigenous, the Tanzanians were all part, the ones they had saved, had all done this drama club. And I love drama. I directed it for 10 years in our music ministry. And they did the skit where they showed what it looked like. And I love it, you know, you don't speak the language, but yet there, it's a pantomime. And so it's just, it just speaks to everybody. It's what I love about drama. And so when someone came to Christ, the guy playing Jesus 
would go over and he would embrace, and then he would do this. And he would lift their head. And it's such a beautiful picture of Psalm 145 that says, the Lord upholds all who fall, and he lifts up all who are bowed. You know the crown of beauty? If you want to keep a crown on your head, can you walk like this? No, it falls off. A posture of shame is not compatible with a crown of beauty. You know, the choice is ours. It's his offer. I want you to walk this way. You're my children. You're my princes and princesses. You're my children. Walk with your heads held high. It's just powerful. The oil of gladness is the next one. It's awful. Instead of mourning, another choice. You know, gladness and joy are not just a benefit of the Christian life. They are essential, absolutely essential. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love this quote by Joel Osteen. It's an amazing quote. We need to understand that the enemy is really not after your dreams, your health, or your finances. He's not primarily after your family. He's after your joy. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength, and your enemy knows if he can deceive you into living down in the dumps and depressed, you are not going to have the necessary strength physically, emotionally, or spiritually to withstand his attacks. You will be beatable, vulnerable, and beatable. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the greatest strategies is to steal your joy. And when he's successful, it's like Joel says, you are vulnerable, and he can beat you. It's so powerful. Does everybody here understand what the joy of the Lord is? I, I think we, we, we miss this a lot. When it says the joy of the Lord is your strength, what is it really saying there? The joy of the Lord, his joy. What's his joy? Us. He delights in us. So if the joy of the Lord, his delight in us, is what it's talking about, then understanding how much God delights in you becomes your strength. You know, just as our joy is the strength, despair makes us weak. Nehemiah 8.10 begins with the phrase, do not grieve. In the original language, that refers to worry, pain, anger, and concern. <laughs> When our thoughts are set on worry and pain or anger, we will not have the strength to overcome. That's why it's a change. You've got to exchange it. To live in victory, you have to release your pain. Man, you have to choose to put on the oil of gladness. Because you can't, and you know what? If you don't release your pain, if you don't release those things, you can't receive it. Because you can't, if my hands are already full, I can't receive anything else. I can't hold anything. I have to let go so that I can receive. You see how these are all connected? The garment of praise is the third exchange, probably my favorite of all time, because worship is powerful. I love it. Worship is the air force of God's army. It changes atmospheres in the heavenlies. It's so cool. You know, and as a woman, I like to look good and put together an outfit. And you know, God has clothing for your inner man as well. You know, and if you don't put on the garment of praise, the enemy will hand you his wardrobe. It's very stuffy and stifling. It doesn't breathe. You know, it's, it, we don't realize that what we do, we have a choice. You know, and it is the wardrobe of the old self in the passage in Ephesians that we're studying. 
and he's challenging us. Put it off. Don't put that on. It doesn't work with where I'm taking you. And the verse says, instead of a spirit of despair. Many think they can't praise because they don't feel it. But that's not how it works. It's a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. We have to be willing to put it on even when we are full of despair. And I am not talking here about being fake. I am not talking. I'm talking about actually making a choice to glorify God in your situations. It's not a prayer that says, oh, I feel great, and yes, I'm great and everything because I can't focus on my despair. No. Look at David. Don't you love David? His songs. Lord, I'm in the pit. I'm in, but you, God, are my refuge. You. That's what it's doing. That's what's authentic when you say, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. This is coming at me, and I'm struggling, but I know you saw this. You already knew this was happening, and you have already put everything I need to walk through this in your strength, and I'm going to get an upgrade. Because if it's a stressful situation, you start showing me, Janet, that means I have extra peace for you. Pick it up. Pick it up. you got to pick it up on your journey. Put that garment on. You know, we were made to magnify. We were, it's in our DNA. But we're supposed to magnify God, but too often we magnify our problems. Right. You know, it's the difference when the Israelites, the spies went in, and they're all like, it's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. And then Caleb, the man of a different spirit, oh, this is amazing. We're going to take them, and look at all God's going to do. And, you know, it's, they were magnifying one thing. Caleb was magnifying the right thing. You are going to magnify Choose what you magnify. It's an attitude adjustment. It's exactly what our passage in Ephesians is talking about. And God inhabits the praise of his people. When you usher him into the room, the enemy in that ill-fitting garment, they have to flee. And not only does he flee, he becomes so frustrated with you. And let me tell you, in the beginning of dealing with my anxiety, I thought about that, and that was a perk. You know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but if I praise God, I make him ticked and, and frustrated that he attacked me and that's a okay I like that I'm gonna do that it's not just positive thinking either it's an exchange old mindsets for new yes. developing those new attitudes is a deliberate choice to set our words Philippians 4 8 says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is good of repute if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's what we're doing when we exchange that word of a praise. And let me explain something to you. That that is one thing, praising in the midst of what you're going through. That's a gift. That's the sacrifice, the aroma. Because a sacrifice you can't do in heaven. That can only be given to Jesus while we're on earth. Because in heaven, is it going to be a sacrifice to worship? I don't think so. Just my thought, but... You know, being in his very presence, I think it's going to be pretty easy. So on earth, the only time you can give him that sacrifice of praise is here and now. It's a precious gift to him. It's a precious gift. Philippians says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's inviting us to think differently, to have a different mindset. Let me give you an example of what thinking differently can do for you and what you can practice with that. In verse 25 of our passage in Ephesians, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Did you know that there is a difference between speaking what is true and speaking truth? Mm -hmm. 
When we speak what is true, we're simply reporting the facts of the matter. What is true can be good or bad. It's actually amoral. It doesn't have a moral center. If I told you that you're short or tall, skinny or fat, brilliant, or maybe one card short of a full deck, I might be simply relating what is true, or at least my perception of what is true of you. You see, the church has misunderstood this for, for ages, folks. When we read passages like Ephesians 4.15, which Chad will be preaching on, speaking the truth in love, and we think that as long as it's true, it's okay to say it as long as we say nice. it in a loving way. Yeah, if I'm nice, I can tell them off. Mm, yeah. Even if it were true, and even if I said it with loads of love piled on top, folks, it wouldn't actually be truth. The Bible does not tell us to speak what is true in love. It says to speak the truth in love. So what is the truth? Basically, simply, it's God. Because, face it, folks, his opinion is the only one that matters. Let me explain. God is the author of all truth. When I first started my bachelor's in theology, a long time ago, the first, very first class I had was taught by the president of the college that I was going to. He happened to be the, the pastor that married my wife and I, that she grew up with. And uh, he asked the class, sitting in a class about 26 people, is there truth outside of God? Just like you, silence. Not, not a soul it's said a, a word. Question. Kind of thing. It's a trick question. We just know this is a trick question. So he said, well, let me ask you. Is there truth in the things that Confucius said or Mohammed said? Everybody's silence. Finally, he looked at me. He, he'd known me for, oh, I don't know, maybe 14 years or 15 years at that point kind of thing. And, you know, I had taught and led ministry in the church that he pastored. And he looked at me. And I, I, I kind of gave up at that point. I was waiting for somebody else. And obviously, that wasn't going to happen. So I said, uh, no, there's not. There is no truth outside of God. That doesn't mean that they're not true things. I mean, the Bible's not full of stuff about chemistry and physics, okay? It's not that they're not true things, but there's no truth outside of God. Even Confucius was made in the image of God, and any truth that that man spoke came from that image. Sorry, there is no truth outside of God because all truth is in him. When you came to Christ... 1 Corinthians 2.17 says that you were given the mind of Christ. Think about that a moment. You have the mind of the person who created everything according to Colossians 1.15 through 18 and sustains it by his word. As near as I can tell, folks, that makes each and every one of you brilliant. It just does. Does that mean that every thought that you have is going to be a brilliant thought? No. Not every thought you have is going to be truth. However, if I am to speak the truth, what that means is that I need to speak with the mind of Christ towards you. So, you're struggling with anger. I'm not going to come to you and say, wow, you really have a mean streak, don't you? <laughs> Let's work on that. 
We're going to work on that, and I'm going to hold you accountable to it. Every time you're angry, you're going to put a dollar in this plate. <laughs> hey, folks, that's how the church has yeah. treated accountability for years. It's always been focused on the negative. Always. Let's help you to be accountable so you won't do this. True accountability is not what you shouldn't be doing, but who you should be coming. That should be the accountability ministry of the church. It's different. If I were to come to Chad one way and say, hey, Chad, did you live as a beloved, uh, anointed, dearly loved, incredible child of God this week? Fully confident in who God is for you? That's accountability. That's accountability. And you know what? It might cause Chad to go, wow, gosh, I didn't always. I felt a little, you know, maybe I didn't feel quite confident on that day. And this is what's so cool about it. I don't have to say anything about now. Where did you struggle? Where did... The Holy Spirit opens the door and says, Chad, let's talk about why you didn't feel confident. And he does the work. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine being in a body of believers that had that kind of accountability to one another? Who Where said, accountability meant calling out God's yeah. image in you. And then anywhere where it doesn't match up, going, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to have conversations with you. You're going to figure out the things that you need to let go or the lie or something that maybe is there. And he, we really let the Holy Spirit have his reign in each other like we're supposed to. You realize the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin? It never <clears> says <throat> that you do. No. The church is not supposed to be convicting the church of sin or the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And we've been trying to usurp that job for ages. Yeah. Folks, let it go. <laughs> Get over your good self. <laughs> What we're called to do is to speak the mind of Christ toward one another. I need to see you engage God's perspective about you. And so what accountability really is, is helping you do that. God is interested. He's not interested in you wrestling with your history. Just isn't. Yeah. He wants you wrestling with your destiny. The other's done. Let's wrestle with who I am and wow, Lord, how do I become this man? How do I become what you called me to be? It's not about your history. It's about your destiny. History was taken care of. You realize God is a present future God? We, we tend to live in the past. We tend to treat our Christian life like the present past. We look at our present, we look at our past kind of thing. But you know what? The cross did away with the past. All of those sins and stuff that you committed, even the ones you committed five minutes ago, you know, they're, they're taken care of in Christ. The ones you commit five minutes from now are still taken care of in Christ. Those things are the past. That's the old creature. That's not the new life that you have in Christ. God is a future, present future God. He wants to deal with you now so that your future continues he to evolve. He stands in your future, looks at now, and says, come on. <laughs> I see you. Come on lines up your circumstances so that you can go through everything that you need to get all that you need to become who you are. And he's already been at your future. He's already been there. So when I speak the truth to you, the truth, not what's true, but the truth, okay, then what I'm really doing is speaking God's love for you, his plans for you, his purposes for you, his destiny for you. So that when our passage here says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What it is saying is that we're to speak the heart and mind of God toward each other. So if you're struggling with worry, with fear, I'm going to declare peace and rest over you. 
while encouraging you to step into the identity of a peaceful person. And the Holy Spirit's going to come in and go, let's look at why you're not doing that. It's cool. It's cool how he works. Now, why do we do that? Because God has a destiny for each and every one of us, and the destiny is the same. It might be unique in its revelation, but it is the same. The same destiny I have is the same destiny you have to be transformed into the image of Christ. This is what it means to think differently, folks. This is what it means to think differently, to have the mind of Christ where kindness and compassion abound which actually brings us to, to verse 32. Yeah. Verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. I love how Chad titled the series through Ephesians about discovering the community of Christ. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. This verse describes it to the T. Kind, compassionate, forgiving. Wow. Now, this is not always easy, but this is imperative for a healthy body of believers. Because let me tell you, we all get excited. Yeah, let's go bring all the kids in. Let's bring everybody in. You know, bring the hurting world in. Well, guess what comes in when the hurting world comes in? There's a truth. Hurt people hurt people. And if we aren't at a place where we can be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, we're not going to do them any good. We have to allow... That's part of identifying with Jesus on the cross. He took everybody's junk on him. We can take that other person's junk and not get offended by it. Because I'm here to bring them in. And forgiveness is a huge part. And we often misunderstand forgiveness. We kind of, oh, yeah, I forgive you. I'm letting you off the hook. I'm, I'm okay with what you did. That's really not the biblical definition of forgiveness. <clears throat> in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 gives us great insight into the true heart of forgiveness. Matthew 6, 12 says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, in Matthew 18, in response to a question about Peter about forgiveness, Jesus tells a story about the servant who was forgiven much by his master. But then he goes out and he doesn't forgive another servant, a, a small part. It's about releasing debt, people. You know, you hold on to the, oh, okay, I'm going to let you go. But the next, but you owe me. <laughs> huh? And that would live down in there. But you owe me. Don't do it again. I'll remember. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I release the debt, the, any debt that I think they may owe me. That is gone. And I put them into your hands, Lord. And not only that, I pray and bless that they will get everything they deserve, all that Jesus died on the cross for. I want them to have all of that. That's what, that's what they deserve because that's what he died for. And that's, that's what he gave you. Amen. Yeah. If we're not releasing debts, we get a buildup of debt, and it feels heavy. And we, we say, oh, yeah, it's okay, but it's really not okay with us because we're holding all this stuff. But if you can release the debt... Because Jesus already paid for it. Do you understand? When you're holding a debt against someone, it's illegal. He already paid for it. There's a beautiful worship song that we sang many years ago that was at the cross, at the cross. And it says, for the sins, how does that go? 
Help me. <laughs> ah, I know. That's a long time it's ago. The, it's not just the sins. It's the sins I have done and the sins, sins done to me. Is done to me, right. Of the verse. And that really hit me one day. Wow. The sins done to me. You know, we're always up there going, Lord, forgive me. But are we saying, and I release, I'm letting go of what's been done to me because you died for that too. You died for that too. True forgiveness is so important. As people of God, walking in renewed minds, we should be people. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and love. After all, isn't this how Jesus said we'd be recognized? We would be known by our love, and you can't be that if you're holding on to stuff, if you're not forgiven, if you're not releasing debts. As we put off that old self, walk in that new attitude, we become people that Ephesians 4.32 describes. We become the people that God can trust. He asked me one time, Janet, can I trust you with my hurting ones? Because they're going to hurt you. And when they come in, can I trust you to be me? Can you be me to them? Can you embrace them? And you know, at first I went, yes, because that's me. And then it happened. <laughs> and I struggled horribly. And as much as I tried to let it go, I couldn't let it go. And knowing that God knew the truth didn't help. Just didn't be, oh, but God knows the truth. I don't care. <laughs> it does not help. They don't know the truth. I didn't really do that, what they're accusing me of. And it was terrible. And I got so caught up into it. And I finally just said, Lord, how, how, you've got to help me. And you know, it was real interesting. He took me to the verse where he's at the, at the last supper with his disciples, you know, in the end. Or when he's going in, he's washing their feet in the upper room. And he says, I don't have to wash all. Peter says, remember, oh, wash all of me. Give me a shower, you know. And he says, no, you don't need that. You just, your feet are dirty from walking. And the Lord said, Janet, your feet are dirty. And Ephesians 4 also talks about the stronghold of the foothold. And he says, Satan got a hold of your feet. And he is holding you and you're walking to the wrong places in your mind. You're going back, you're putting on the old self and you're walking back in the wrong places. And you need your feet washed. You need me to wash your feet. And I sat before him and I repented, and, which means have another thought. That's what repent means. I got to think differently. And I was able to release the debt and have him wash my feet. And then I had freedom. And we have to be. Forgiveness is protection. It's protection for that new spirit and that new creation that you're growing. Because the enemy doesn't want you to grow. He wants you to hold on to junk because he wants to sabotage. Oh, yeah, let all those people come into their church. Because then they'll hurt him and then I'll zip in there with a fence and we'll just blow up the whole thing. That's his agenda. It can't be. We have to say no. We have to become who Christ wants us to be. We have to be able to be trusted with the hurting of this world. So how do we do this thing? The Bible calls us into a new life, calls us new creatures. This passage tells us to put off the old self and to pick up the new person, right? How do we get this done? How many of you know, know up here that you are a new creature in Christ? Now, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands on this <laughs> next thing. How many of you live like a new creature in Christ? Okay. None of us are successful all of the time in that, okay? We're all going to struggle to some degree with the old self and putting off the old self. 
But there are ways to move into that new life more and more. It's no secret that the church has struggled with becoming the people of renewed minds, transformed lives, people who love one another. Let's face this, Jesus said, you know, they're going to know you by your love for one another. Not for Jesus, but one another. And we have struggled with that. That's why we have 1,500 different Baptist denominations, and that's just one denomination. We struggle with loving one another, and when we find that we don't agree with one another, we tend to divorce one another. It's not a pretty picture, and it was never meant to be that way. The truth of the matter is we spend a lot of time, treasure, and effort getting people saved, changing their eternal destination, but precious little time and effort connecting them with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that they might have a growing, healthy, intimate relationship with the Godhead. When I say Godhead, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible actually calls discipleship. And by the way, that's the direction this church is going. Chad has made that very clear. And that's one of the things I love about him so much. A lot of things I love about the man, but he, he believes in discipleship because we were called to make disciples, not converts. Discipleship is where we grow into the image of Christ. It's where the new creature, the new attitude, the new mindsets are cultivated within us. But like I said, how do we get there? How do we, how do we become more and more? Well, part of that process is letting go of that old self, letting go of the lies, letting go of the wounds that the enemy has inflicted upon us and that other people have done in the name of the enemy, whether they understood that or not. The truth of the matter is we carry those things with us and a lot of times we don't even know that we're doing it. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that they exist there. You may know that you're saved and you may believe that, you know what, all those other things, they'll be taken care of in the sweet by and by. And yes, they will be. We'll be made like him. So all of those but things will be. how do we live be. in the nasty now and now? That's the question. And really, your salvation, you are saved, but you are also being saved, according to Scripture, has to do with this sanctification thing Janet shared. It has to do with the day in, day out, how do I get to that abundant life in Christ? This is where it gets really good. Like Chad said, we're, we're launching a new ministry, and it's something that Janet and I have poured our lives into for, oh, I don't know, 12 years? More than that, I think. More than that? Helping people get free of the lies and the wounds, sometimes the ones they don't even know that they're carrying. Amen. And it's so simple and it's so easy and to fun. do. And it's fun. We laugh a lot. We pray a lot. You don't get taken out to the woodshed. No, there's, there's none of that because yeah. what are we doing? We're calling out your destiny yeah. in Christ. We're calling out the image of God in you. You know the verse Andrew shared this morning about without a vision, the people perish? Well, another version of that is they show no restraint. See, when you have a vision of who you are, you restrain yourself from the things that don't line up with the vision. That's a good word. People need a vision of who they are. Athletes who know I'm training for this, don't eat junk food. Don't do all these other things. We have to have a vision. Then we will show restraint and we will live up. We will be that, become that vision. So hopefully when you came in this morning, you got one of these little brochures. 
And that kind of explains a little bit more about the ministry. There's a whole lot more to it than what we can put in one little brochure, but it's a good start. And the idea here is we're, we want to launch this thing come September and make it available to everybody in the church. In the background, what you don't know is we've been teaching and building a team of people that we are so in love with. Uh, Yeah, team, why don't you come up? These are most of the people that you see up here to pray for you on a Sunday morning. They're part of that team. And they're brilliant. They're brilliant. We have fallen in love with them, and and they have a passion for this, just like we have a passion for it. How it's going to work is that what we'll be doing is probably quarterly. We're going to be picking a Saturday, and we will let people know you can sign up for sessions. They're about an hour two and an hour and a half tops. We don't do any more than that. And then through that session, you just get to discover truth and how God really sees you. It's so cool. It's just, and forgiveness is a huge part of it because that has to become a lifestyle. It's not just a tool of freedom. It's a lifestyle that we have to walk to remain free and to keep, there's two battles, getting free and staying free. Taking the ground, keeping it. We want to help you with both. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been in ministry for almost 40 years as a lay pastor, as a leader in the church, as a, as a pastor. And next to leading somebody to faith in Christ, this is the most exciting thing I've ever done for another person. It really is. Because when they actually get set free, there's, there's such an incredible joy yeah. about it. It's, it's almost like getting saved again. We want to make sure that we extend the opportunity, number one, to make an appointment, to actually have a release session with one of our people or two of our people. If you are interested, call the church office, and Patty can put you on a list, and we'll get the date. Scott's having surgery this week, so he'll be be incapacitated for a while. But in September, come September, we want to have that first Saturday, and as soon as we have the schedule, we will get it out to you. You may be thinking, well, does this really apply to me? Does this, is this something I really need? Do you, do you struggle with things like worry, fear, anger? Frustration, anyone? Yeah. Forgiveness. You struggle with, with any of those things. You got somebody in your life that's just a thorn in the side. Um, you know what? This ministry is for you. It is gentle. It is a type of deliverance ministry, but let me tell you, it's nothing like any deliverance ministry I've ever seen before or been a part of. Nobody, nobody gets yelled at, you know, nothing like that. It is Holy Spirit-led. We actually laugh a lot. We do. We laugh a lot. We laugh a lot. And, and we pray a lot yeah. together. And we and, try. And oh. through that, God does amazing things. He just does. Yeah. He's, he's the author of amazing, so he does amazing things. We want to invite you to explore this. Even if you just want to come and make an appointment, sit down with us and talk about what it is that we're doing. That's okay, too. That's perfectly fine. You may find that there's something that you want to deal with. You might we'll find out, you. oh, I think I'm called to this. We'll train you. And like Janet said, we're, we're not interested in... in uh, bringing all the junk up in your life kind of thing. It's not what we're here for. And it's, it's very much so what you want to share and what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Uh, we're not going to force anybody to do anything. We're not going to reveal anything. Everything that happens in a session stays in the session. Yeah. And there's one rule of the sessions. We are not going to work harder at your freedom than you are. Yeah. So you will have the choice. You have to want it. Yeah. That's for sure. 
do. But we wanted to introduce these, these people to you, Brian, Michelle, Debbie, Joanna, Brian, Randy. Michelle, what you, he said Cheryl. I said Michelle, didn't I? Oh, you did? I did. Oh, okay. And Rebecca over here on this end. Like I said, they've hung with us for about a year and a half, and we're almost there. We're, we're, we're about ready to launch this thing, and we're very excited about that. This morning, if you know you have something you want to deal with, please come and pray with these people.